everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up, BFW's weekly show where we hit on all the latest and greatest news of the week. And lucky for you, well, I guess if you consider it lucky, we will also be hitting up the preview show, given the condensed nature of this week with the German national team finishing up on Tuesday and Bayern Munich playing on Friday. We wanted to not bombard everyone with podcasts, so... Uh, we decided to combine the preview show and weekend warm up. Uh, next week, we'll be back on the normal schedule with a flagship, uh, a preview show, and a weekend warm up. So, all will be back to normal at that point. But for now, we'll live in the abnormal world <laughs> of doing the preview show. So, uh, I will kick things off for this podcast with our version of the preview show. And this is quite a it's quite a week for Bayern Munich, you could say. Uh, this is a very big match, and it pits the two teams at the top of the Bundesliga table. Bayer Leverkusen sitting in first place and Bayern Munich sitting in second place. Both hold 3-0 records. Obviously, that means both are in the midst of a three-game win streak within the league. Both have nine points. Uh, the goal differential, Bayer Leverkusen has scored 11 and given up three. Bayern Munich, meanwhile, has scored nine goals and given up two. That gives Leverkusen the edge in goal differential eight to seven over Bayern Munich, which is why they are sitting in first place. Leverkusen is a very, very interesting team. And first and foremost, because of Xavi Alonso, who is doing a tremendous job as the manager of Leverkusen. And I think if you were a Bayern Munich fan and you saw the way that he processed and played the game during his time in Germany, you absolutely under, could understand why he would be successful with Leverkusen. Uh, not only does he uh, see the game in a different way, he's got the right demeanor. He is still young enough to where he can relate to young players, install tactics, and really gain the trust of his roster. And I think that's a little bit of what is going on here with Leverkusen. I think Alonso is obviously a, a very smart guy. But he's doing a really, really good job of getting his players to buy in. And he's relating with them uh, from what I can see in some of the articles that we've been reading about him and, and what he's doing at Leverkusen in a way that's a little bit reminiscent of Hansi Flick. Now, I am not predicting Leverkusen's going to go out and win a second double or anything like that. Uh, but what I am saying is that sometimes when a coach can connect and see things in a little bit different way and present those ideas to a team in other ways that they have not seen or heard before. It, it can be something that grows on them and really creates a culture and an attitude and a mentality of winning. And I think that that is what is going on with Leverkusen. And listen, they have some very good talent and uh, we will get into that right now, actually. Uh, so aside of Alonso, who is just 41, I mean, this is crazy to think he's 41 and is already doing such a good job at getting this team and pushing it to the next level. Uh, they did make a big acquisition over the summer. And of course that's Granite Xhaka, who is doing just wonders in the midfield for Leverkusen. He has really stabilized things and in, in a lot of ways was the perfect acquisition for this club because they do have a lot of talent, but they needed someone with an edge, someone with a mentality to help get them to the next level. And it does appear that Jaka is that player. Uh, there are so many interesting players to talk about with this team. Uh, you could start with the attack. When you look at Victor Boniface and Adam Holozic, who 
Lozick is uh, the lesser of the two primary attackers right now, but he was a player who just not long ago was linked to, to clubs like Bayern Munich. So he's got some talent there, but Victor Boniface is, is definitely the player who is attracting the most attention in terms of the attackers. Uh, unless, of course, you include players like Florian Wirtz or Jonas Hoffman, who are kind of grouped in with the midfield, but definitely can hold more of an attacking role. Again, just looking at those names that I referenced there, that's a lot of talent. Uh, you could also talk about Robert Andrick, who is, in my mind, a little bit underrated. Uh, and they also have Nadim Amiri, who is in their midfield, but has not played a lot as of yet this season. Uh, again, very good talent there. Edmund Tapsoba, Jonathan Ta, those are two of the defenders you could look at. Jeremy Frimpong, Alejandro Grimaldo, a couple of other players to keep an eye on. Uh, 20-year-old Artur is out with a with an well, I shouldn't say he's out. Let me rephrase that. He is battling a tendon injury right now. So I don't know the specific status on whether he's out, doubtful, or questionable. I just know that he is battling a little bit of an injury i don't know how serious it is and of course our old friend josip stanisic on loan from bayern munich at 23 he has made two appearances so far for bayer leverkusen in the bundesliga uh, stanisic of course was a, a very controversial loan in a lot of ways and i will stand by the fact i think this is a good place for him to develop because i do think over the course of the season alonzo is going to be able to mix in Stanisic as an outside back or a wing back, a center back and a defensive midfielder. I think he's going to get a look at all of those positions. And I do think that Bayern Munich trusts the assessment of Zabi Lonzo when it comes time for someone to tell Bayern Munich what Stanisic has been up to, what his progress is like, what his development has, has been like. I think that they trust Alonso and I think that it will give Bayern Munich the best eye at Stanisic and, and really being able to help project what he can be. Of course, he was needed at Bayern Munich this season in the end, given some of the things that have happened in the transfers that occurred late in the window. Uh, Stanisic absolutely could have played a role at Bayern Munich, but the loan had already happened. And in retrospect, from a club perspective, it probably was not a good idea to loan him out because they actually need him. They need players at the positions he can play. However, from a player perspective, it, it is still a great spot for him. And I think he will thrive and flourish there. And most of all, I think that Bayern Munich will know by the end of, the, of this season, whether Stanisic is a player that can be a Bundesliga quality starter, whether he is the next level up in terms of can he be a starter at a power club like Bayern Munich? I think they will learn all of those things over the next eight to 10 months or so. So it will be a very interesting time for him. Of course, a goalkeeper, Bayer Leverkusen has Lucas Radecki. So this is a very good Leverkusen team. Are they at the level of Bayern Munich? I don't think so. However, this is the kind of thing that can happen when you have a good coach who is relating to his players and a good talent base uh, Florian Verts, of course, is just one of the, the league's most talented players. He's one of the German national team's biggest hopes. Um, he, he absolutely is uh, uh, someone to keep an eye on because he, he, he needs to start to thrive 
and show what he can do. Uh, and we, we've seen flashes of what he can do, of course, before his ACL injury. I mean, there was a lot going on with him. Last year, I chalk up to having to recover from that injury. And, and like I always say, it is the second year where you're really getting back. You're not back to yourself yet. So uh, when he came back last year, you know, he, he definitely was not, at his best ability probably was not as explosive as he normally is. I think this year we're starting to see glimpses of it. It's tough for me to look at his performances with the German national team and, and make an assessment there. Cause I don't think he's fully comfortable there, but with Leverkusen, we should see, uh, we should get a good idea of where he stands and, and how he stacks up against some of his, some of the uh, a bigger brand name type competition at Bayern Munich. So Florian Verts, of course, is a player who Bayern has been interested in is is reportedly going to at some point try and pursue seriously. So we'll see if that eventually happens. But I do believe we're a couple of years away from that happening. Uh, so Bayer Leverkusen, Bayern Munich should be a great one. Uh, from, from Bayern's perspective, we do know that Yashua Kimmich is banged up and he may not be available. It's it's kind of touch and go with that. And of course, Thomas Tuchel's press conference is probably happening right as I record this. Uh, I, I doubt Tuchel will give much insight on Kimmich. I mean, he might, but I would think he's going to let this one kind of uh, ride into tomorrow. The last thing that we saw, the report stated that uh, Kimmich was having some of his movement restricted by this injury. Uh, it does not appear to be overly serious, but it might be something that could keep him out of a game tomorrow. Uh, Jamal Musiala and Rafael Guerrero are both slated to come back. We have no idea if either will start. I, I would think out of the two, Musiala would have a chance, although I, I would still like to see Thomas Muller team up with Harry Kane. I, I would I would rest Musiala a little bit longer. When you have a kid that's coming off of, I believe it was a hamstring injury and a back injury, I know he's probably eager to get back in, but I, I think I would uh, be inclined to uh, rest him one more week, not rush him back, and then see where he stands. Of course, that's a little bit selfish on my end because I do think that Muller and Kane could be a very successful combination, and I want to see more of what they can do and what should be a much more free-flowing match than what we saw before the break where Bayern Munich was just mired down in the mock, uh, it, it was not a pretty game by any means uh, against um, FC Colm, but uh, it definitely was not. I'm sorry, not Colm, Munching Gladbach. I don't know why I said Colm. I could see Gladbach in my head and I said FC Colm anyway. But yeah, Gladbach had really had no interest in playing that game. They just wanted to hunker in, park the bus, and try and make Bayern Munich break through. Uh, Gladback, of course, was unable to do that. Byron secured the 2-1 victory. So uh, I, I doubt Leverkusen will take that same approach. I think this is going to be much more of a uh, mano e mano uh, throwing haymakers kind of deal for Bayern Munich and Leverkusen, which I think will be a lot of fun for fans. Uh, some other things to take a look out for at Bayern Munich. Of course, we know that Dio Upamakano uh, was banged up in the France France national team camp, so we don't know his exact status yet. Uh, that will be a very interesting decision for Thomas Tuchel because, you know, we did see some reports about Matthijs De Ligt and being out of favor, and we'll talk about those in a little bit. But uh, you know, it'll be 
it'll it'll present Tuchel with some decisions to make in this first game back after an international break. And that's what I'll attempt to do now is pick the brain of Thomas Tuchel and figure out which way he's going to go with all of this. So at goalkeeper, of course, we'll go with Sven Ulreich. Manuel Neuer has been working out and practicing, but uh, we have no official word on when he will come back. Uh, so I'll go with Ulreich until I hear differently. Hopefully we don't get some kind of announcement during the presser stating that Neuer is going to play or my lineup will be already out the window. Either way, looking forward to Neuer eventually coming back. Along the back line, this is a very interesting scenario. I'll start with the outside backs. We'll go with Usar Mizrawi and Alfonso Davies. Obviously, those two, I think, are entrenched as starters at this point. Uh, when it comes to the center backs, it's where it gets interesting with DeLict because uh, even though he is out of favor, if Upamakano is banged up, it really might not matter for Tuchel. He's going to have to ride DeLict and Kim Min Jae. So I think we will... We will see those two together as a center back pairing. Uh, when Upamakano is healthy and ready to go, I think he'll move right back into the lineup. Uh, Tuchel, who it was really unclear if Tuchel was was a big fan of Upamakano last year, but it seems like he has really uh, developed a liking for the French defender and maybe doesn't like Delict so much. So uh, I, I will say that once Upamakano is healthy, he'll be back in the starting eleven. But for now. We'll go with Delict and Kim Min Jae because those two are are definitely ready to go, or so it would seem anyway. Uh, in the midfield, I think we will have to see a double pivot of Leon Gretzka and Conrad Leimer. Uh, with Kimmich being Kimmich, uh, he's going to want to play. He's going to want to push himself to get out there. I don't know if Bayern Munich is going to want to take that risk. Listen, I know it's not a serious injury, and... I know there's a lot of incentive for Kimmich to to want to go out and want to push through it and play in a very important match. But is it worth it? I don't think so at this point. If this was the Champions League final, maybe I would say suck it up and play. But I think Bayern Munich being conservative would be a good thing in this case. The attacking group. Uh, I do think Jamal Musiala, despite what I want to see, is going to be back in the starting 11, so he'll be back at the 10. Harry Kane, of course, will play striker. At the wing, it's a very interesting scenario because you do have three great options in Leroy Sané, Serge Gnabry, and Kingsley Coman. I don't know, and I can't get a feel for what Tuchel wants and what Tuchel likes. The better scoring options at this point are Sané and Gnabry, Coman is more of the playmaker of the trio. Sané has been just at a different level, so I can't imagine that he will be on the bench. So Sané will be one of the players. And I kind of think that we're going to see Serge Gnabry at the other wing, and I'm probably wrong, but I think that it, at this point, I think Tuchel has a little more trust in Gnabry and Sané to operate on the offensive flanks. I think he likes Coman. I don't think it's an issue of that, but Coman is... Honestly, of the he's not the best with his shooting, his accuracy, and his scoring at this point. And I think that Tuchel wants a little bit more of a scoring option, a scoring threat from the outside flanks. I don't know if that's the right move because I I really want the wingers to be setting up Harry Kane because I feel like you invested all of this money into Kane and Kane's got all of this talent. You might as well maximize it. I don't know with the way that Sané and Gnabry are playing at this point if that's going to bring out the best in Kane. But it's tough to argue with how Sané has been performing. I mean, a lot of people think he's been among the top five or ten best players in the world so far this season. And it would be really hard 
to argue against that because he has been that good. But we all know with Sané, there's always the potential for him to go through one of those ruts that he tends to fall into. So until that happens, we listen, I will be perfectly content to roll him out there every game and continue to see these great performances that he's had. Uh, I will be very interested to see if he can maintain this and sustain these types of consistent performances, which has been a problem for him in the past. When it comes to predicting this match, of course, a lot goes into that. Bayern Munich will be at home, uh, and they should have the advantage with that. They should have the deeper team, the more talented team. But it does worry me a little bit with how confident that Leverkusen is at this point. Uh, I feel like they've really got something good brewing. Uh, it, it could be a, a good opportunity for them to really thrust themselves into the talk of world football. By knocking off Bayern Munich, it would be such a good thing for them. And I, I mean, just think about it from their perspective to go in after an international break, go to Bayern Munich's home field, knock them off, pull out a big victory, maintain first place, it would really put them on the radar of a lot of people who probably aren't paying attention to them right now. As for Bayern Munich, they need to treat this just like business as usual. They need to approach it seriously. They need to come out and play their attacking brand of football, and they need to, to be aggressive. They need to not take this lightly. And I know sometimes after an international break, there's a little bit of a lag. Of course, a lot of the top players have been traveling. They have been away from home. It, it is an adjustment, and I totally acknowledge that. And, and this might not be the most pretty match for Bayern Munich, especially having to play on a Friday. But I will say that Bayern is going to pull this one out. I'm going to say it's going to be a 3-1 victory. I don't think it's going to be a blowout or anything like that. I think it's going to be a very hard-fought 3-1 it would not shock me if Leverkusen came out a little hungrier, a little feistier, and, and, and managed to pull out a draw here. But I'm going to go with Bayern Munich. I think it's time for them to, to refocus, I think, even without Kimmich and with the integration of Jamal Musiala back into the lineup. I, I think they're going to be able to attack pretty seamlessly. I think they're going to be able to feature Harry Kane. And I do think this is going to be a good match for Kane to establish himself in the Bundesliga. He's had some great performances so far, but this would be a good marquee matchup to do it. What better way to, to really show how great you are than to go out and knock off the first place team in Bayer Leverkusen. So we'll go with three, one Bayern Munich over Bayer Leverkusen. This should be a really fun matchup. It should be something that we're all excited about. Like this is a great match for the league. This is a great match between two very, very good teams, and I'm personally very excited for it. So uh should be a lot of fun, and Bayern Munich and Leverkusen to kick things off. What better way to really kick off the international break? And I will say that despite the fact that this should be a good one and, and that I'm looking forward to it, I hate that it's on a Friday. Uh, Friday and Sunday games to me are the worst, especially for, from a BFW perspective, because it really jacks up our coverage and what we have to do. And it really throws off everything in the week. I love those Saturday morning games. I'll take that Saturday morning, nine 30 slot at any point. Well, I say nine 30 on the East coast here in the United States, but I really love those games. Uh, Sundays 
and Fridays, they, uh, they tend to not be as great for me. So uh, my preference aside, we will see Bayern Munich and Bayer Leverkusen kick things off Friday night. Uh, we're going to take a quick break right now, and then we will dive into the weekend warm-up portion of this program where we have some uh, pretty exciting topics in my mind. We're going to talk about what's going on with Matthijs De Ligt and Leon Goretzka, what their futures might look like at Bayern Munich. We're going to look at, of course, Hansi Flick's tenure, as the coach of Germany and how things went wrong and, and whether or not Julian Nagelsmann is really going to be that next man up. And also I, I did get a chance to fi- uh, finish watching all or nothing, the German national team in Qatar. And I really want to get some thoughts out on that because it was very telling in some of the things that happened. And after seeing it, I'm not shocked that this most recent international break played out like it did. But uh, like I said, I've got a lot of takes on that. So hang with us. Uh, We will be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Weekend Warm-Up Podcast. This is Chuck Smith, of course, of BFW. And and what a good week in terms of discussion points. Uh, It was not a great week for Hansi Flick. Uh, Matthijs Delict would probably argue he didn't like some of the <laughs> stories that he saw, but uh, this was a very fascinating week on an international break for a lot of reasons. And I want to stick with the Bayern Munich portion of what I want to talk about first. We saw a story break this week uh, regarding Matthijs Delict and Thomas Tuchel allegedly thinking that Delict's play in the in the uh, build up is too slow. His passing is too slow. His decision making is too slow. A uh, very interesting piece because it's all speculative. Of course, this is if you want to if you want to take it for what it's worth, you can say that this is Tuchel leaking something to a source uh, within the outlet that covered it, and this is just him getting out there why Delict is not playing, and that's a possibility. Uh, when I see stories like this that talk about how a coach or how a player is feeling without quoting them, of course, it, it does put up your radar that maybe. You know, there is a slim possibility that there's no truth to it at all. But when we see this, there's typically something to it. There's something that has gotten out, whether it's directly from Tuchel or one of Tuchel's confidants. Something has happened where he has let this information out. And, and I truly believe that. I don't believe, at least with some of the outlets that cover Bayern Munich, that there are just journalists out there throwing completely random things out at the wall. I know that sounds weird because a lot of you do feel that way, but from a a professionalism standpoint, it is very difficult to operate that way and then have to show up in locker rooms or at press conferences and look people in the face. If you're working off of a lead or off of information that is provided to you, you can always feel confident in knowing that you got this information. It's from a source you trust and you're going to run with it. And in the end, you did what your job is, which was vetting a source, vetting the information and, and putting out a, a story on it. There are a lot of people that, that that feel like sometimes these things get completely fabricated. And I think when when you look at the English media and the Spanish media, I think there's some of that going on. What we see with some of the Bayern Munich stories is they initially get released in this way, where there is some speculation about how a coach feels or how a player feels. And, and it almost, almost automatically gets shot down by people. And 
And I get why, because if you're a fan of the team, you don't want to see things you consider nonsense out there. You don't like speculation about things that could potentially harm the team. I, I totally understand that. But I think over the course of time, some of these things that we've seen that have been, you know, referenced as rumors or whether they have been, you know, how a coach or how a player is thinking, eventually over the course of time, some of them do end up coming true. I mean, the Erling Haaland situation was a good example of that. We had heard rumors that Byron was interested in him and, and were going to talk to him. And, and a lot of people thought it was never going to happen. And uh, it did. I mean, there was a meeting <laughs> at Brazo's house. So that was one. Luca Hernandez uh, wanting to transfer was something that I had been on. I had seen a story a long time ago about him potentially wanting to explore his options. I talked about it. I got ridiculed for it uh, for a while. And uh, it turned out that, that Luca Hernandez wanted to leave. I mean, we've seen you know, a lot of speculation around Alfonso Davies' future. So you know, we'll find that out in the future, what ultimately happens with him. Like, were some of these rumors we saw, were they true or was it all nonsense? But with this Delict situation, it did make a little bit of sense to me because Delict, while he was battling an injury, of course, I mean, he had a calf injury that had been lingering. He was deemed healthy enough to play. He had made appearances, but something was off. When you go from a player who had such a spectacular season as Delict did last year, to really not getting the opportunity just a few months later, something was up. And, and listen, I know like I'll throw that tinfoil hat on a lot and I'll, I'll believe some of those theories that are out there and with regard to rumors that we see, I do think there's something up with Tuchel and Delict. And I'm not saying it's a permanent thing and there's a permanent dislike or anything. I don't think he likes how Delict was playing at least training with the team. And that has made an impact on Tuchel's decision to not play him right now. Dio Upamakano, who's a little bit banged up, like we talked about in the preview show portion of this, uh, you know, it remains to be seen if he's healthy enough to play for Bayern Munich. Uh, it did not look like he had any type of major injury. So that's a good thing. Uh, but Upamakano has been pretty solid. We of course know his struggles through some games last year, as I've echoed a million times, just because he struggled on the big stage a few times didn't does not mean he had a terrible season. Uh, he, in fact, had a very good season, but had some very inopportune times to have some big gaffes. Uh, Kim Min Jae, I like what I've seen so far. I wouldn't say I've been blown away by what I've seen so far. So for Tuchel at this point to have a clear preference of Upamakano and Kim Min Jae over Delict. I don't necessarily get it, but I'm also not Tuchel. I'm also not the one with ideas formulated in my head of what I need and what I want for this Bayern Munich team. I think when you have three great center backs, and I will say they are all great players, how they play this year remains to be seen, but they are great talents. I, I always feel like it's best to, to come up with a rotation to be consistent with it. And then to, to be able to keep these players healthy over the long run of the season. I think a rotation is the best way to go. We have seen reports that Tuchel does not want to do that. So I, I want to see what happens with the Licht here. Uh, you know, are these rumors true? Is Tuchel unhappy? Does he think the Licht is simply too slow in terms of how he plays in the buildup to really 
be a part of what Tuchel wants to build at Bayern Munich? And if so, what does that mean for his future? And when you look at the Lick situation, it's almost very similar to Leon Goretzka, who another player who is highly regarded um, by everyone not on social media, I would say, uh, but a highly regarded player, a lot of talent, has done well on the big stage in the past, but they just don't seem to fit the mold of what Tuchel wants if you believe the stories that are out there. I don't know what happens after this season, but I do think if this becomes a campaign where Goretzka doesn't play a lot, where Delict doesn't play a lot, I, I don't know how they will perceive it. And I, I couldn't imagine they would be happy and want to stay stay on. I know we know that Goretzka and Delict both love the club of Bayern Munich. They love being there. They like the culture of the area. They just like everything about it. They've both been very insistent about that in, in multiple interviews that they have had over the course of time. However, playing time is playing time. And I would think that how this plays out and how they both feel operating under Tuchel, uh, this will will really help them form what they want to do. And, and I think over the course of this season, we are going to see Goretzka and Delict play prominent roles. I think this is a, a pretty much a temporary setback. I mean, for Goretzka, he went from backing up Conrad Leiber to, to taking the job right back simply because I think he was just better. And I think his play has shown that. For Delict, I think we would, we're going to see a very similar result when he gets back on the field. And I think in his situation, it will be a little bit harder for Tuchel to discern how to, how to manage that. Again, a rotation with those three center backs, I think would be great. Tuchel has said he wants to settle in on a starting pairing that he can depend on. I think that's a mistake. Uh, I get why he would like the consistency, but when you have that kind of talent back there, I don't know why you wouldn't want to use all of it and keep it all healthy for when you really need it, which is in the in the late winter and the early spring when we are in the crux of really the Champions League season where things really do matter and you do need healthy bodies. So Goretzka, Delict, those two situations are going to be Probably the biggest personnel situations will be monitoring in terms of playing time. You could look at Alfonso Davies and those rumors that are out there about him and Real Madrid, and you could say that's more important, and it might be in the end, but that's really out of Bayern Munich's control. Uh, if if Davies wants to leave for Real Madrid, if he wants to make that move, he, it's certainly his prerogative. So uh, Goretzka and Delict, though, I mean, they seem to be more linked to how they are used by the coach and what the coach views them as. Uh, with regard to how they are as players. So uh, we will definitely be following those at BFW, but there are definitely a lot of things uh, <laughs> that, that that could happen. Of course, injuries are always something that come into play at, at Bayern Munich. And I think that, uh, you know, over the course of the season, given that Bayern Munich doesn't have maybe the depth of some other clubs, I do think that they are absolutely going to need a lot of those players. So it is absolutely something that that could uh, be very interesting for us to monitor over the course of time. When we look at how Tuchel uses players and, and how he interacts with them, I mean, I think there's a lot that we really need to see still with him. I mean, things have not been great over the course of this season in terms of how things have looked. I mean, the success you can't argue with. I mean, the DFL Super Cup aside, Byron has won the matches that have been in front of them and, and you can't 
can't argue with the results there, but it has not looked great. I think that there are definitely some possibilities for things to, to go off the rails here and there. And, you know, it will be up to Tuchel to keep everything uh, moving forward because he has a tendency to wear on players. And we know that. And that's why when I see things like this uh, with Tuchel and with regard to players like the Licht and with Leon Goretzka, it does worry me because a little bit of that seeping into a locker room, into a clubhouse could absolutely uh, be an issue. And uh, I do worry that there are definitely going to be some things that happen with him uh, over the course of his time <laughs> that, that could really uh, uh, play a role, let's say, in, in how this season plays out. But we will uh, keep following Tugel for sure. Now, of course, the biggest news of the week, and it's something as, as someone who is a uh, stick with flick guy back in his Bayern Munich days, uh, it was sad to see what happened with Hansi Flick getting sacked by Germany. When he was hired, he looked like he was a natural fit for for the team. It looked like he was, uh, man, it just looked like he was going to be the perfect person to take over that club, to take over that team after Yogi Love was was let go. And man, it it it, it did not work, and for so many reasons, it didn't work. Uh, of course, when Flick was let go, it came after a, just a complete debacle against Japan. He didn't even survive the international break and finish up against France. I know I sat here just about a week ago and, and I was speculating that if if he didn't get the results that, that, that Germany needed, which honestly, they needed to win against Japan and they needed at least a draw against France. I felt like he was going to go course they got blown out by japan and, and somehow beat france well france's b team anyway uh and it wasn't you know obviously after japan it just it wasn't good enough and when i look at flick's tenure i really do think about how it started and i think it was i think i had calculated out it might have been a 13 and 0 start for him so he had or um, let me rephrase that 13 unbeaten matches to start so so he they had not suffered a loss for his first 13 matches. And I know the competition wasn't great early on. They took care of business. But I think a lot of people forget that Bayern, that Germany was not winning those games under Yogi Love at, at, at the end of his tenure. Things looked really, really bad. Uh, and Flick was supposed to come in and fix things. And, and he, he didn't. Initially, it looked like he was pushing the right buttons. He had belief from the players that he had a lot of people that were were buying into what he was doing. But it became very clear over the course of time that they weren't buying in, that there wasn't this big respect for Flick and what he had done at Bayern Munich. The players just didn't view him that way. And his messaging did not get through to them. From everything from his tactics to preparation to discipline, it was not resonating with his players. And that was a big, big problem for Hansi Flick. I felt like over the course of the past year, really, you could see things start to fall apart. And I look back at those friendlies before the World Cup. There, of course, was the loss to Hungary. There was the come from a head draw to England with England. Um, things 
were off there. Things didn't look right. And, and of course, they had not looked great leading into that. There were a couple of draws that should not have been draws. Um, and then they got to the World Cup and it looked terrible. It looked completely out of sync. It looked like Yogi Love was back at the helm. And at that point, I knew Hansi Flick was not long for the job. And I think that when you look at the whole thing together and you look at what he did initially and how it devolved from that point, there were a lot of reasons it could have happened. But I think mostly that magic touch that Flick had and his ability to communicate and relate, he didn't change any of that stuff. He tried. It just didn't sync with this group of players. And, and I think that's going to be a challenge for whoever the next coach is. In the end, I mean, Flick is still a good coach. He did not do a good job getting results for Germany. But the group of players, I think, is so vastly overrated. <laughs> and it sounds crazy to say, but this is it's one of the things that is, that is befuddling me. Like I'm looking at this roster that was just there for the games against Japan and the game against yeah Japan and France. And I'm not seeing like this otherworldly talent. I'm not seeing a group of players when you put them together that was going to be able to function like a world power in football. It looked like an average to below average team with a lot of flaws. And I think the players in a lot of ways have have gotten off the hook. They've gotten a free pass here. They have not been good. They have not been good for a long time. Now, I will say that 2018 did irreparable damage to... (laughs) To the German national team, uh, how that played out, how awful that looked. And then the decisions that followed when Yogi Love went through and he had axed a lot of the veteran players. He had tried to start over with a lot of players who weren't ready. It has been a debacle since then. I mean, you could really argue going back to 2017 after the Confederations Cup, which I still love that tournament. Um that was one of the most fun German national team experiences I've ever had. I know that sounds weird, but it, following that young group of players through that tournament was great. But everything since that point has been off. It hasn't been great. And for Germany, like it is completely unexpected. You think when, when you associate Germany with football, you think about good technical footballers, good athletes who are able to go in and, and compete against anyone on a world stage. Clearly could not do that. This group of players is is just not as talented as I think a lot of people think they are. Thomas Muller, at his advanced age of 33 or 34 now, I can't remember which one, was probably the most engaged player in that France game. I thought he was the team's best player. Um, You could argue Leroy Sané because he has just been on fire of late. But when, when, when Muller, who is supposed to be in the mentorship role, for the German national team is out there looking like the best player. There's a problem. And I don't know that Hansi Flick or anyone else was going to be able to solve what ails this current group. And if that next coach is Julian Nagelsmann, which the rumors are indicating that Rudy Voller is, is in communication with Nagelmann's agent Volker Struth. If Nagelsmann is the pick, he has his work cut out for him. Uh, This is not a group of players that's overly flexible with their positioning 
It's not a group of players that is overly dynamic in terms of talent. It's going to take a hell of a coaching job to coax the best out of this group. And I'm not even sure that Rudy Voller or Julian Nagelsmann or anyone else knows what the best mix is for this team. I mean, who are the players that work well together? Who work best together? Right now, I couldn't even fathom a guess at that point. I mean, we're talking about just a generational shift. You have some extremely good young talents. You have a lot of veterans who are probably still the best players on the team. And how does it all mix? How does it work together? Can Nogglesman or whoever the next coach is get into the lab and figure out how this all mixes well and works? I, I don't know. I'm very confused about how Germany is going to have any success, especially ahead of Euros. And I think that they're, as an organization, the DFB is desperate. I think that Nogglesman is not the perfect choice by any means, but I don't know who is. I mean, if you if you put a gun in my head, I'm telling you, Jurgen Klopp. Klopp is not making the move, though. So after that, I mean, it's anybody. Louis Van Gaal, I don't know. Is I mean, I listen. Brilliant mind. He's had some really concerning health issues. I would worry about any type of of issue moving forward, and I wouldn't let that necessarily dictate. Uh, my decision, but I would, it would definitely be a concern because uh, first and foremost, whether it's a football or a coach or anyone, you, you think about their health and what that might do to his schedule. And if that could be a physical issue for him. Uh, so when you start to cycle through the 10 or so candidates that build laid out from last weekend, it just looks like at this point, Nogglesman makes the most sense, mostly because he's unemployed doesn't mean he's not getting a fat paycheck from Bayern Munich still, but he, he currently has no gig. And if Bayern is willing to let him go for a cheap price or through some other kind of arrangement, namely a friendly or something like that, which was kind of the deal when Hansi Flick took over Germany, it, it, it makes sense on a lot of levels. Uh, Nagelsmann needs something to do. This certainly would not be a permanent gig for him. Uh, he could go back and coach clubs whenever he wanted to, but Germany needs someone to to lead them through the Euro 2024 competition. Nagelsmann seems like he is the most likely candidate, but if a big job opens in England or Spain, would he be tempted to just you know cut ties and go before he could be named uh, manager of Germany? So I I, I don't know. I do worry about Nagelsmann in this setting for a lot of reasons, his tinkering and constant changing of tactics and formations and players. It just, it leaves me thinking there's just too much possibility for him that he wouldn't be able to handle it in a club setting. You're confined to a certain number of players that you can use and move around and try in different areas. When it comes to the national team, you can literally as flick was doing, just pull people in and out at will. And I, I do think that that was part of Flick's problem. He just kept experimenting and experimenting, and there was never any solution to it. It reminded me a little bit of the quote-unquote process that we had here in Philadelphia with the 76ers, where they had this idea to tank and keep getting good draft picks. Now, you could argue the merit of who they picked. They, they pretty much bricked on most of them. But there was never an end game for when that ends. It was constantly just lose, get good draft pick, lose, get good draft. And eventually, like, I guess 
it was supposed to all come together when all this great talent would be assembled, they would naturally just start winning. As we know, I guess over just about a decade later, it didn't really work out that way. Uh, they missed on draft picks. They couldn't assemble talent that worked together. There was a losing culture within the organization that still remains. They they can't get out of the second round of the playoffs. I think Flick was headed down that road a little bit because he couldn't decide on who his core players were. He couldn't decide on who his complementary players were. It seemed like he had a roster full of fringe players when in reality, he should have had three or four fringe players and the rest should have been settled. And he just couldn't do it. He couldn't figure out tactically what formation he wanted to play. Were they a back three squad? Were they a back four squad? He had no idea. And, and I would became very worried about some of his waffling on players and tactics. And in the end, I guess the day Bay was as well. And, and I was a huge, huge flick guy because when you talk about, jobs of someone stepping in the middle of a season and doing what he did at Bayern Munich on that stage with that group of personalities. It's unbelievable. One of the best coaching jobs I have ever seen. He had settled even Robert Lewandowski, who was a serial malcontent at Bayern Munich in those last few years and made Lewandowski happy. I thought Flick would be able to just replicate what he did at Bayern Munich in the national team setting. And he just could not do that. And to this day, I'm I'm still kind of in disbelief that it didn't work. I'm I'm like this week has been crazy to me thinking about where I thought Flick was going to take this team, and and I I truly do feel like he believed he was going to lead them to a World Cup, and, and it just it never got off the ground. I mean, yeah, we ha- we'll always have those first 13 games where they were unbeaten, but since that point, it has been a complete nightmare and. You know, I feel bad for Hansi Flick. I feel like he's a good coach, but his reputation has now. It's no longer about winning the sextuple at Bayern Munich and doing what he did there. It's about how he failed with Germany, and it's probably a little bit unfair. But I do think that that's how people are going to remember him. And the final topic I will hit this week is Flick-related, is Germany-related, and it is the All or Nothing documentary that was presented by Amazon Prime. Wow, we learned so much about Germany in those four episodes uh, and Flick. And I'm going to start with a couple of things that were surprising to me. The the thing, the moment that always kind of will be what I remember this, this documentary for is Flick detailing tactics and then being challenged by Kimmich and Flick looking almost in disbelief that Kimmich was calling him out in front of the whole group. And Kimmich, for his part, it seemed kind of petulant in a lot of ways. Like he basically said Flick wasn't changing anything and he was just rolling out the same tactics. In a lot of ways, I think you could argue that Flick was expecting his players to be able to implement those tactics and play within them. So I saw both sides of that argument. I I think that, you know, yes, as a coach, you need to make adjustments but I think you also have to have trust in your players that they're going to be able to do their jobs. And I think what, what Kimmich overlooked was that they were not doing their jobs. The players were, were soundly awful, honestly. I mean, they were bad. And for Flick, you know, I get it. Like on his part, he needed to probably make some adjustments that he didn't make, but Flick is a person from what I've seen who coaches a lot on belief and faith in, in the people working for him. And it's a little bit different with that group of German players who were in the World Cup 
in Qatar as opposed to the roster he had at Bayern Munich. Uh, simply put, the, the German national team just wasn't as good. They weren't anywhere nearly as good. And the level of talent just wasn't there. Uh, and to me, like Flick never quite grasped that. Uh, maybe he did internally, but I think he felt like he was going to be able to take that group and, and make them rise so far above their real talent level that it would be overwhelming and it would work. And it just never did. But the Kimmich versus Flick thing, and, and it didn't get heated from what we saw. And, and maybe it did off camera. Maybe some of the stuff they cut out was a lot more heated than that. But at that point, and that was, I don't know if that was episode two or three, but that told me that <laughs> Flick had long lost the team, that it was done at that point. Because when Kimmich speaks up like that, you know he wasn't the only one saying that he wasn't the only one thinking that these were discussions that players have. If you've ever been on a team or in a locker room, I don't care what level you're at. You've had some doubt of a coach. You have had some discussion about the coach's tactics or strategies. And you could tell that Kimmich wasn't just speaking for himself. He was speaking for others. And like I said, at that point, you knew flick had lost that team. So none of the results that happened over this past weekend uh, or last week, it didn't matter. It really didn't because that the results were gone. Flick had already lost the squad. Some of the other highlights I, I thought that were very interesting, the, the choice of location for where Germany was staying, being, I guess it was approximately 90 minutes away from where they needed to be. What a hassle. What coach and what players want to be drug? You know, you're talking about a three-hour round trip to go do a press conference. Like, that was ridiculous. It was poor planning. I don't know if that was Qatar or the German national team that did that booking. I mean, the facility itself looked great, but I, I don't know that that was very smart in terms of keeping the team so far away from all of the stuff that they needed to attend to and that they needed to do all those obligations with the media and everything like that. So that was a very interesting choice. Uh, Nicholas Fulkrug absolutely was the star of it. Man, I, I will say this. If, if that was genuine, what a good dude he is. What a great attitude he has had. Someone who battled through injuries in his career. Someone who had to fight for every chance that he got. The way that he played in that World Cup, people won't remember. The, but his attitude. I mean, in, in 20 years, they won't remember full Krug from that World Cup because no one will want to remember Germany's effort in that World Cup. But what they might remember is his attitude and, and, and how he really, how he portrayed himself in this documentary, man. What a good guy if that was all how he really is. And there's no reason to think it's not. Just a genuine person. His speech before one of the games was unbelievable. I mean, this is a guy who, who was an afterthought of being selected for years. And to come in and make such a, a powerful showing, I was really impressed by him. Thomas Muller's open and frank speech after uh the costa rica game was was also tremendous it's very interesting with muller because he always to me is serially underrated right like he doesn't get enough credit for anything even as far as like the captain's armband I, manuel neuer's great i don't understand how when you have a player like muller who he is literally he's popular with his teammates he has enough clout to be able to speak and people will listen. 
you know, and how he handled the whole situation when he was asked directly about whether he should play or whether it should be full Krug. There is no better leader than I have seen. I mean, there have been great leaders in sports. Don't get me wrong. But for someone to be so humble and to be able to be that impactful, both on the field and in the locker room, just a, a really tremendous thing to see. And to see it in that environment when when you're talking about a group of men who have just experienced one of the lowest points of their lives, something that is probably a goal for every kid growing up with a ball in Germany. To, they want to be at the World Cup. They want to be successful there. And to see how he handled it in the moment and how he spoke to his teammates, super impressive to see Mueller that way. I mean, those were the the, the biggest takeaways I had when, when you look at things. Uh, it, just full Krug and Mueller, just, uh, they stole the show, in my opinion. What disappointed me most, and again, when you talk about Flick losing the team, uh, we talked about the 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 Kimmich and Flick situation and, and the disagreement over tactics and how Flick reacted in the moment in terms of making changes. The lack of discipline and professionalism on that Germany team. Julian Brandt was among the people that were late to meetings. If that is all going on, again, these were all big clues that Flick had already lost the group. And he didn't know how to to rein them back in. He didn't, and and it's a it's a major fault. And I think the interesting part about the timing of this is is how negatively you could perceive for all how great honestly for how great Flick came across in that documentary because he did come across as someone who cares about his players, for someone who's determined, who someone who is eternally optimistic. Someone that really does understand and know how to relate to players and communicate with them, all the one-on-one meetings that he held, for all of that, for all of that good stuff, this what we saw otherwise in terms of how it was all playing out, like you knew he had lost the group and you knew that there was all of this footage we didn't see that was probably way freaking worse <laughs> than what they did put in there. So the Damp Bay knowing that that was coming out, knowing how that was going to be portrayed, because undoubtedly they had seen the final cuts of it. It was very obvious to everyone who watched it that there was an issue between the coach and the players that was not going to be resolved. So when that Jap- Japan Japanese result came out, when Germany got drilled by the Japanese, it was inevitable that the timing of the drop documentary dropping and how that was going to be perceived and how the team actually performed that day, it just synced up to make it too perfect for Germany to cut ties now. And and I again, I'm in disbelief it hasn't worked. It didn't work out with Flick, but the documentary itself I thought was really well done. Some of the all or nothings that have been produced haven't been great, honestly. But this one was really good. And I know it's probably always a little bit more intriguing when there's a failure associated with something. But th- this was a, a fascinating look inside of the mentality of the players, things that were going on between the coach and the players. Uh, I really enjoyed it. If you are a Bayern Munich or Germany fan, you absolutely need to watch it because it is very telling. And will it will show you, I believe, that 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 this was not going to work with Flick after the World Cup. And honestly, Germany probably wasted 
uh, all of this time because it was very obvious that that Flick was not going to get through to this group of players. That'll about do it for this episode of the Weekend Warm-Up Podcast. I appreciate you for listening and being flexible with the schedule. Like I said, we'll be back on our normal routine with the post-game show, uh, the flagship show, the preview show, and then the weekend warm-up. So appreciate that flexibility and, and hanging in with us. As always, you can get me at the Barrel Blog and get the site at Bavarian FB Works. You can get Tom Adams at Tommy Adams 71 You can get I Need No Name at BFWINNN. You can check out all of our great podcasters and writers at BavarianFootballWorks.com. We appreciate all the interactions. Please keep checking us out there and keep uh, downloading our podcast. We we love the interactions with you guys. So feel free to always drop something in the comments for us. Hit us up on social media. It's It's always a pleasure to interact with you. So have a great weekend. Enjoy the match. Have a couple of beers on me, and we will see you next time.